Hello and welcome to the Cybersecurity Insider episode 24. Today we have a special guest, Gordon Coyle. He is an insurance guy. Oh, I need to bring him, bring him to the picture. Okay, here you are. I thought uh, you were lost for a second. I'm here. Okay, Gordon. So um, it's about you. Tell us well, what do you do? Why are you sure. here? Go ahead. So I own an insurance agency called the Coil Group, and we only focus on business owners, and we work with businesses of all sizes, small, medium, and large, from small public companies to large private companies and across all spectrums of industries, from technology, financial services, retail, wholesale, distribution, contractors. Our book of business is very varied. And for the purposes of today's conversation, of course, we're going to talk about cyber insurance, which is a big thing that we're doing and have been doing for the last, I would say, three or four years. Um, we started off slow in the business, uh, like a lot of insurance brokers, and we sold it when we were asked about it. Now we're a big proponent around cyber insurance, the need for it, the need for understanding what the coverage is, what it does, how it can help a business in the event of a breach, an attack, a hack or some sort of an event, <clears throat> because these can be costly events. Um, are you still there, Yannickle? <laughs> Did we miss you? No, right. I just... Uh, you gave me the full screen I, Yes, I give you the full screen because you're speaking. So okay. I want to give, give the due respect to you. So that's Thank why you. I... Maybe I want to get the, uh, my coffee, I don't know, whatever, close the window, do something, go to the bathroom, you know. <laughs> so... You know, in a nutshell, we do all forms of business insurance, but cyber is a big piece of what we do for new clients as well as existing clients. Uh, the firm I own, I'm a third generation owner. It was uh, a company started by my grandfather and his brother um, in 1929, and I've been in the business for 40 years. Okay. Excellent intro. Uh, so here you see cyber security. Why now? What, what's so important? And I mean, maybe the answer is not is not needed, but you know, give us your spiel. Uh, so why is cyber insurance needed now? Cyber insurance is the only form of coverage that is going to respond to a breach, hack, attack, or some other cyber event where a business has suffered some sort of a loss related to their digital assets. If a company believes that their data is priceless, then it makes sense to insure that data. Uh, and I don't mean for a dollar limit, like property insurance as an example, but the most common threat that we see today is ransomware. Uh, ransomware and other threats the, the incidence of, of these threats is increasing year over year in an exponential fashion. And the cost of these events have become progressively more and more expensive. I don't have the numbers at my fingertips and it depends on what expert you're talking to, but every sector of our economy faces a threat from cyber, <clears throat> excuse me, cyber risk. And the only way to insure it is with cyber insurance. Um, I believe that every business, no matter how big or how small, needs to purchase cyber insurance if they have data that's stored in a digital fashion. And I don't know well, of any company today that doesn't run a business in a digital fashion. And I'm not talking about an e-commerce company 
or having online assets. I'm talking about doing banking digitally, having your customer information in a digital format, using QuickBooks, any sort of form of business, unless you are conducting business 100% on paper and pencil, you need cyber insurance, in my opinion. And, and if you're using paper, probably you're using fax. Could be. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I don't quite remember what a fax machine is, but it does sound familiar. <clears throat> yes, it does. Yes. P people sometimes say, oh, you know, especially the federal go government, like the IRS, when you need to do something with them, they only transact using fax. So you need to do to change something. Also, some, some insurance companies, by the way, like for the my car insurance, no, uh, Nissan. And in order to get the title back or something, they, they require you to send a fax. And I didn't have a choice, and I had to get a fax. So I said, okay, should I get, you know, besides my internet connection, should I get, like, a regular fax here, or should I get dig digital fax, meaning you can send to a fax, and then you get it by email, or you can log in anywhere, and then you can um, see the, uh, the fax. And I didn't have a choice. I said, okay, you need to send us a fax. Otherwise, we can process whatever requests. Okay. We, I thought we are progressing to some extent, but I guess we are not. I don't know if it's better or not. I, I can't really determine that, but this is this is what's going on. So, yeah, yeah if, if you are not using a fax, maybe you are lucky. But <laughs> Okay, so this is actually leads us to the next next question. Types of cybersecurity insurances. So, give, give us. Uh, I I know because for my business, and we spoke about this like I think two weeks ago, mm -hmm. and I asked Gordon, and okay, you know, I'm looking for error and omissions. What else should I look? Said ah, but what else do you have? I said well, I have a business owners and liability, and it says error and omissions. And then you said you got you should make sure to get cyber insurance, cybersecurity insurance. I said. Really? Why? Why should I have? And me, as a cybersecurity person, I'm asking, why do we need cybersecurity insurance? I said, I'll make sure you get it. Don't. You want to get it through me? Fine. You want to go to somebody else? Do it. But just get it. So to that, why do we need the... What are the types of uh, cybersecurity insurances? So there's predominantly two ways or methods of buying cyber insurance. It can be added as an endorsement to a business owner's policy for small companies that have a couple of employees, or you can buy a standalone cyber insurance policy. I don't recommend endorsing it to your business owner's policy, frequently called a BOP policy. I just don't think that that is broad enough. And usually the limits of coverage are very low, somewhere in the area of $50,000, $100,000. I, I think it's totally insufficient. So the, the main way of buying cyber insurance is through a standalone cyber insurance policy. <clears throat> For the most part, across the industry, there may be 15 markets or players in the business that sell cyber insurance. Maybe there's more. We work with probably 14 or 15 of them. Um, there's brand name companies like Travelers and Chubb and CNA that have cyber forms, but then there's more modern facilities that are known as managing general agencies that have produced unique cyber insurance policy forms and 
protective services and underwriting services um, such as Evolve, Coalition, Corvus, uh, Access, just to name a few. Uh, those policy forms, broadly speaking, are all very similar. So uh, there's not different types of cybersecurity insurance policies. They're really, as a standalone product, one type of policy that covers first party and third party risks within cyber and cyber crime. The difference that you're going to see between these policies is coverage limits, coverage triggers, terms and conditions, which gets into the real nitty gritty that I'm sure that your viewers and listeners don't wanna hear about. But um, I think that broadly speaking, standalone cyber insurance is the policies are fairly similar from one company to the next. Okay, so let's say for the standard, I don't say standard business because because everybody is different. They think that they are different, but in terms of the hackers' perspective, they looking for the data. So you are not special. Any any event, any uh, business is not different from another because they want the data, regardless of what you do. And specifically, let's say healthcare, they have a lot of uh, conf confidential information. But other companies also small business and hackers know that those, those small businesses already were breached. I don't know if you're familiar with that statistic, but they said if you are breached in the past six months, it's likely that you're gonna breach in its in the next six months. And and this is because hackers remember that that specific business was vulnerable to specific vulnerabilities. And however they they failed to re, uh, to remediate those uh, vulnerabilities. And so what like the average business owner should look in terms of uh, cyber insurance? Uh, I, th I think that the, the main question is, is, you know, that is going around in the mind of a business owner that hasn't purchased cyber insurance. The first, the first question is, is why do I need it? And as we talked about earlier, if you've got data, it's susceptible to being stolen, corrupted, locked down in a ransomware attack. Any number of things can happen. If you believe your data is precious in running your business, then you need cyber insurance. If you don't believe that it's precious and that you can replicate it easily and you don't need it, then maybe you don't need cyber insurance. Uh, I've been kind of challenged by some prospects who say, well, I've got a full backup. But Yago, you probably know as well as I do that backups are very infrequently, infrequently tested. So you don't know what the integrity of those backups are. A new strategy being deployed by hackers is they'll inflict ransomware on a, on a victim. And the victim will say, go ahead, I'm not gonna pay your ransom because I have a full backup. I can restore my system, it's tested. They're 100% confident that their backups are good. The hacker says, fine. I'm just going to then expose all this data to the, to the public, and then you'll face third-party lawsuits from your customers or your vendors or whoever you collect data from. Um, so it's kind of a double-edged sword. You, they're going to get you one way or another. The question is, is how are you going to pay that ransom? How are you going to restore your data? How are you going to pay for third-party lawsuits? Um, how are you going to pay for potentially damaged or destroyed hardware that's bricked in the process of an attack? These are all things that are covered by a cyber policy. And I guess the bottom line is, is that 
if a cyber insurance premium for a small business is $1,500 a year, are you willing to put potentially hundreds of thousands of dollars at risk, maybe millions of dollars at risk in lawsuits and other costs, or paying a ransom of, let's say, $30,000? Are you willing to put all that at risk for not paying $1,500 for a premium? That's up to you as the business owner. Uh, now that's on a small, small business, a large company, you know, their premiums could be 40 or $50,000 a year or higher. If, if the premiums are that high, you've got to imagine that the risks are substantially greater. You know, if you take an, uh, an employer with 300 employees and they're put out of work for three or four or five days as they try to remediate a ransomware attack, what is the cost of that lost productivity? it's probably way greater than the $40,000 premium. On top of that, you've got to pay the ransom. On top of that, you've got to pay forensics to figure out what went wrong and clean the data and make sure it's not going to explode on you again. So, you know, from your perspective and what you do every day, you help protect your customer's data. Why? Because the data is valuable. So, Insurance is just a mechanism of funding the recuperation, remediation, and recovery from an attack. Right, and and I get get this because backups are actually I saw today um, an email piece that came from Israel talking about uh, a, a hospital that was uh, breached, and they said that the hackers got into seven million. Uh, patients, information, records. And they were able actually to encrypt. They had multiple backups and will be, will, they were able, those hackers, to encrypt this data. So this is kind of where you... And they, they fail also to do segmentation. There's other issues. So when a person tells you, a customer tells you, oh, yeah, well, well, I have a backup, great. And to find out if a backup is really good and what to do with that, you need to do like risk risk assessment in order to understand where's your risk uh, um, level. So with that, uh, I want to switch to um, how insurance companies determine um, how much to charge and what is how they determine the risk. And I remember in, in our conversation said, well, they just want to know the risk. So how do they determine the risk? What they, they, as a business owner, what they need to do in order to make sure that their risk is low and get a good, good policy and good premiums? That's a good question. So what we're seeing today is, is insurance companies, up until about, I would say 18 months ago, they would quote and issue a cyber insurance policy for a million dollars based on some very, very preliminary information number of employees, annual sales, and basically a checkbox that you did patching, you did backups, you had a firewall, not very sophisticated technical questions or issues around security postures. Today, that's all changed. Um, insurance companies want to know, are you deploying multi-factor authentication? Um, do you have air-gapped backups? Uh, how do you secure your data? Um, what kind of training do your employees have when it comes to phishing exercises? Um, I'm trying to think of other questions off the top of my head, but what we're seeing is, is that 
underwriting has become more complex, not just for the first time buyer of cyber insurance, but for every renewal policy as well. Um, I've got a couple of accounts that are on my desk right now that are renewing and we bought the policy or the client bought the policy based on those basic eight questions I talked about a minute ago. Now they're facing a four page application that's got 30 questions on it. And the client's going, why do I have to answer so many questions? And I'm like, look, I get it. It's a pain in the butt to answer all these questions, but cyber insurers across the country have just been hammered in the last 18 months with claims, especially ransomware claims, which can be very, very expensive, as you know. So they want to make sure that the posture of the client matches um, their underwriting profile and that they're not giving a policy or selling a policy to a client that doesn't take security in a serious way. Um, another thing that some insurance companies do is they do a perimeter search. They want to find out and look and look for uh, gaps in security from an external point of view in a, in a client or a prospective client's network. Are there open ports? Um, are there software vulnerabilities that are not patched? Are there when you, when you say that, I'm sorry to interrupt you. So they those insurance companies will come on site or they're gonna send a third party to do no, those they're, assessments. They're, they're, they're gonna they're, these are all remote. Oh, all remote, all remote checks. Okay, so yeah. they're going to run port scanning and they're going to see if you have like low-hanging fruit right. before they approve the, the, the policy. Before and... they even quote the policy. Oh, before so, even they quote the policy. Yeah, okay, so that, that's important. Process. Uh, I, I understand. Okay, so not all insurance companies will do that. Some will do that just to make sure that they the risk that they will buy to some extent i can say right. it is low enough and they won't suffer any kind of um, um they're going to need to pay for for their customer for their policy right um so they, they, this is interesting okay so let's continue and the next item uh, unless you want to add another yes sure so sure. so some clients will will see this as being intrusive and they'll say i what why is this insurance company looking at my network and my my security you know it would be the same if you wanted to buy workers compensation insurance if it was a large firm let's say in manufacturing the insurance company is going to send an inspector which we call a loss control engineer or a risk control safety specialist to the manufacturing plant to see that everything is operating safely that you know there aren't employees hanging from ladders unprotected and they're, they've got guards on machines and that they're wearing personal protective equipment. Those are the basics for something like workers' comp. We know what those risks are. Cyber is a fairly new type of insurance. So insurance companies and underwriters are still feeling their way. And when they're presented with different threats and new threats every day, they've got to find a way to, to manage that and price it accordingly. So these, so these scans are just one way to do that. Okay, that this is all makes sense because my background. I'm coming from a country where uh, security is is a uh, is a it's major. In Israel, the state of Israel is surrounded by enemies inside and outside, and we came to the point where we can't trust 
our internal meaning you don't have in the old days you had like a perimeter you had a border and if somebody come to the checkpoint you can exactly like checkpoint company this is how they made the name checkpoint firewalls mm -hmm. it's no longer exists the information is all over the place and you know people are talking about zero trust because you can't trust so you need to verify Mm -hmm. And then you can trust, but on any transaction, you need to verify, and then you can trust it. You can trust and then verify. It's exactly the opposite. First, you need to verify, then trust. Right. So uh, with that, as a business owner, right, uh, what do I need to have like before I come to ask for a policy? So I know some of them will, and I know I've been going through that. They, they ask me a few questions. Oh, do you have, do you sign with each customer on a contract and some limitations and, and so forth? I said, yes, of course, I'm, I need to sign a contract with this customer. Otherwise, I can't provide services. So they ask all these questions. And my follow-up question, so let's say you got the bridge. Okay, I got the insurance. I, I answered all the questions. Yes, I have all those policies. I have everything. I'm fine. Just get me that policy and let's move on to the next crisis. And so let's say you got breached. You got to run somewhere. And you come to the insurance company. Hey, guys, you have, you know, this is my policy. Pay me a million dollars or whatever. 500 i don't know whatever the number fifty thousand dollars so the insurance company would say okay you want some money show us you did whatever you did are they going to ask him do you have those policies show me the policies that you have show me the the procedure show me the contract all those terms that you said initially when you signed up for our policy do you do you really have them do you really have a firewall do you have antivirus solution because this is one of the questions that ask me of course, can you go without? I mean, I'm not using antivirus solution. This is like old school. Um, but do you have all those in place? And then after we verify you have all those things, we're gonna give you give you that funds that you're looking to get. Is that well, a process or something? Yeah, no, let me take a step back and kind of where I think that the claim process happens and what we've seen is um client gets you know, hammered with a ransomware attack. They call me, holy cow, or maybe the language is a little bit more salty than holy cow, but uh, yeah. I, I've got a problem. I, I, I can't get into my network. I've been locked out. All my data is encrypted. I've had a ransomware attack. So the first thing we do is we call the carrier and the insurance company has typically a 1-800 hotline that's manned 24-7, 365. And on the other end of the phone is somebody called a breach coach. Now everybody's gonna have a different name, but that's generally what we call them. And this is the person that's gonna walk you through the process of remediating a breach. <clears throat> They're not going to look for opportunities to decline coverage. They wanna get on this thing right away because every day that goes by is a more expensive claim. So if they can get a claim settled quickly, they're gonna do that. That's the first priority of most insurance companies. This is good to know. This is actually yeah. good to know that they, they 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 would like to come and help you, the business owner or any business, to recover quickly as possible from, from a breach because it's their interest to make sure that you are online right away. Right. Because one this of the point. coverage parts in a cyber insurance policy is something called business interruption. So if you have a ransomware event 
and you're down for two days versus 21 days, let's say, as an example, we've seen this. Um, I worked with a, a prospect who hadn't purchased cyber insurance yet, and they suffered a ransomware attack, and they were out of business for 21 days. Mm. Uh, you can imagine, and then ended up paying a $35,000 ransom. So, not oh, so, so so they pay the ransom. They were done 21 days because this is actually a good story for us and for the viewers. So they were down 21 days and then they paid $30,000 to get back the data. They paid the ransom. They paid the ransom, but they didn't pay it right away, right away because they thought that they could get themselves out of the jam because they didn't understand what a ransomware attack was. They figured, uh -huh. oh, my backups are fine. Until backup they discovered that the backup also encrypted. Well, yeah, because the backup was on site. They had on site servers. The backup wasn't air gapped. So they got, they got whacked. So they were trying to work with their IT company, which was not that well equipped to handle this event. And they were negotiating with the hackers back and forth. The funny thing was, was the hackers, they asked the hackers, and, and you got to look at this from the perspective that hacking today is a business and they run it yes. as, a, as an enterprise with call centers, customer service support. Yes. You know, here's how oh, you yes. get your Bitcoin. This is how you pay us. It's crazy. Um, and they said, how did you get into our network? And they're like, we're not going to tell you. <laughs> but get this, we're not going to tell you, but I would recommend that you hire a new managed service provider because your IT firm sucks. <laughs> but that's how this is, this, is, this is what, you know, hacking has become in the world today. It's a um, business, yes. It's, a, it's a business. Actually, my wife kept telling me, she said, why are you on the defender side? You should be an attacker. You're probably going to make more money than <laughs> defending your customers. What are you doing? Just change. You know, you're still going to do cyber, but you're going to do it as offensive or, I don't know, hacking instead of protecting. And um, I'm, I'm not in the, that idea, but I understand. I, I hear you. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, you know, hacking today there are ransomware platforms that operate as an SAS company, a software as a service company. You yes. can rent and lease the it's software. SaaS right. SAS, SaaS service, yes. So right. you, you can say which which malware you want and you give them the list and they push it and you're done. And then right. you have a profit sharing and whatever, how they, they do it. Yes, it's a business. It's, it's a business. business. So if we face yes. it as a business that's easy to make a lot of money at, we start right. to understand why the why hackers are so motivated. If they send out millions of emails a day in a phishing scheme, they only need one or two to make a ton of money. Because right. if the ransom is $25,000, that's nice. If the ransom demand is $250,000, that's even nicer. So for them, it's just a numbers game. It's it's going to Vegas and knowing how to crack the code on the on the uh, slot machines. But let's go back to the original story. So the client's down for 21 days. Right. I don't care what industry you're in. I don't care what kind of business you operate. You are going to suffer a significant loss of revenue if you cannot operate for 21 days. Follow-up question, injection. 21 sure. days, the business was down. Did the business owner told you how much they lost because like hard dollars and soft dollars like what was the cost for being 
down 21 days. How much they days? were they were a little bashful about even admitting that they were down 21 days. They didn't want to give up what it cost them. But I think the revenue of the client was in the $15 million ballpark. So I'm just grabbing my calculator here. Let's just do a little simple math. 15 million divided by, let's just even call it 365 days times 15 days, uh, times 21 days <coughs> is $863,000. Just guessing numbers here. We're not talking right. about $8,000. We're talking about a significant portion of a client's revenue. 21 days represents about a full month of work. What company, what business, what client of yours or mine can afford to slice off one twelfth of their revenue and hand it over to a hacker, to a third party that they're not getting any value from other than the data that they already own back? Right. That's the risk. That's what we're talking about. Right. But but this is this is this is not only the revenue they lost because they had now to put money out of their pockets to pay for the remediation. So so it cost them another thirty thousand dollars to pay the ransom, and then it right. cost them I don't know a few I don't know thousands of dollars, twenty fifty thousand dollars just to clean up that mess. So the question is, did they do anything besides? So let me ask you another question. Did they get the insurance eventually or they didn't get the insurance? They're in the process of trying to get the insurance. Oh, because they were breached now. The insurance company not exactly happy with that. So they're going to deny oh, yeah, that's, them. That's a huge red flag. And when you go to the insurance marketplace and now you're going to try to buy cyber insurance after the, you know, this is the proverbial cow got out of the barn and you want to close the door now scenario. Um, right. Insurance companies ask a lot of questions, and rightly so. Uh, yes. You were a victim, and you were a victim at your own hand. You didn't understand right. the threats and the risks that you face. Now, I'm not pointing the finger. Maybe, maybe they knew about the risk, but they decided to ignore it. It's also a possibility. Could be, could be, or they didn't. Or they really... didn't want to pay. They said, they said, you know, I had, I had a case. So sorry to interrupt you, but I had a customer, and and they said, I said, listen. You rather save thirty thousand dollars or fifty or two hundred, whatever number that you're gonna pay me to secure your network, but you rather pay this million dollar to to close all this mess. What's going on here? It's like it doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Well, you know, in a lot of business owners' minds, in a lot of anybody's mind, people's minds, is that if they've not experienced something, it doesn't exist. It doesn't happen. Right. So I believe that for a lot of business owners, they don't believe they're ever going to get hacked. They don't ever believe that a, a, a criminal element is ever going to be interested in their business. Now, years ago, when we thought of cyber attacks, we thought only of the theft or corruption of data. The theft of data that then could be resold on the dark web, which whether it was uh, personal information, PCI information, or personal health information, that, that right. was somewhat valuable. Um, right. But the game changed with ransomware because hackers had to go from selling things for pennies on the dollar and going through a lot of work to sell that crap on the black on the black market on the dark web to, to ransomware, which was instant jackpot city. Thousands of dollars, like boom, in your pocket. There wasn't any work to it other than 
you know, collecting the Bitcoin and being on your way to the next victim. Right. So I, I want to go back to the the client that we're just talking about, the prospect right. that we're talking about. So right. it's more difficult now to buy cyber insurance. You're going to buy more. It's going to be surcharged. There's no doubt about that. And rightly so. Um, <clears throat> you present a higher risk. Um, and you need to clean up your act and have everything as bulletproof as possible, or you're not going to even get a quote. Or you'll get a quote, but then once they do underwriting, they're not going to sell you the policy. So, you know, having all of the elements of, of security have to be in place. The one element that we didn't talk about that I didn't even bring up that happens in these situations in the cost structure is reputational damages. Let's take another example as a law firm. A law firm gets hacked and their clients find out that private data has been stolen or corrupted. What are their clients going to think? I can't trust this law firm with my private information and they lose clients. Right. Um, and some cyber insurance policies include a sublimit for reputational damages. So if you suffer a loss of income due to a breach or an event and you lose clients because of it, the insurance policy will pay. So for some industries, that's a really important coverage part. So for professionals like lawyers, accountants, right. people like that. Right. Yeah, it, it's a and it's good good that you brought this uh, the reputational damage because people don't think about it. They just think, okay, how much is this going to cost me? The policy, if I need to pay the ransom, okay, I'll pay the ransom, whatever the numbers are. If I'm going to lose some revenue and I'm going to need to put money out of the pocket, okay, but then reputational damage is something that you cannot even quantify it. Because on how much you're gonna, you don't know how many customers you're gonna lose, but also future future business you're gonna lose because people are now gonna talk about you say, hey, you see this uh, this company they they got breached. Okay, I guess we should go we should go, but really in the, in this environment these days, nobody is safe under the sun. That's right. And I had a discussions uh, this week and previously with two vendors, and both of them said. Oh, we have one of them was identity management, and the other one was actually um, remote connectivity by uh, wireless LTE. And they said, "Yeah, you you know, you send everything is on the cloud, and our cloud is highly secured." I said, "Oh, wow, really? Your cloud is highly secured? Okay. Do you think that if the FBI was breached, it's good enough?" Do you think, what about Kaseya, Microsoft, FireEye, all these companies will breach? And you're going to tell me that you are better than anybody else? Come on, please, give me a break. Right. And I said, you know what, guys? Can I get this service or whatever without the cloud? I don't need the cloud. Don't give me the cloud. I I rather, no, you know, you can see the, the graphs and the usage. And you say, no, 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 no. I don't want to see anything on the cloud. No, 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 no cloud. I can manage it from here on-prem. i rather have that than, than having anything on the cloud. Thank you for the cloud. I don't need that. So, <laughs> interesting. I think a lot of it stems from the big unknowns in the client's mind. They want to believe that they know everything to some degree, um, but they, they don't know as much as what you know about cybersecurity. They don't know as much as I know about cybersecurity insurance. 
they believe that they know more than everybody. And that's kind of what makes a good business owner a good business owner, self-confidence and a broad knowledge base. But the best business owners in my mind are the ones that admit what they don't know. They know what they don't know. And that's yes. why they rely on outside experts to guide them and provide right. support in their blind spots. And that's, that's a big piece of what we have to overcome when we're selling a service or insurance or whatever it is to prospective clients. So uh, here's the story. Uh, we did the risk assessment for uh, a company that built uh, a software for the jewelry business. And we, so the, the results of the risk assessment were not exactly you know, good enough. Let's just put, put it this way. And they were hosted on, on a, on a you know, hosting company. And I'm trying to keep it without names. And they were breached, that company, the hosting company. Now, what we told them in the risk assessment, you know, they have virtu two virtual machines. And doing the risk assessment, we found that they actually, we can see all the neighbors of that hosting company, meaning all the customers and the hosting company system, like the email system, the management system. So I told the customer, you know, I can see anything here beside you. There's other tenants here that I can reach out. Without them knowing, without the 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 company, the the hosting company, they can't see it. Okay, so what do you recommend? I said, okay, it's better if you want to stay with them. See if they can give you a private cloud. I said, okay, let's do that. So they did private cloud. Guess what happened? Day after they finished with the uh, private cloud migration, can you guess what happened? I, I'm I, I know what the punchline is going to be. <laughs> <laughs> the hosting company got breached. With a ransomware, woo -hoo -hoo -hoo. so the, the CTO said, said, Egal, you know, you saved us so much, so much. They can't, I can't be so grateful for what you did for us because you got it right here. And it's like simple stuff to do, and you can be in a different place. You don't need to be to do a lot in order to be secured enough or improve your security patches, just you know, the low hanging fruit, you can come and collect them and make sure that they're not going to fall on the ground for anybody to come and pick them up. Mm -hmm. So with that, when selecting an insurance, what are the caveats? What, what is a business owner or business should look? Okay, you know, the caps, the, 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 the coverage, you know, all those little nitty gritty that they need to know that can make a difference actually. Well, yeah. What should, should they look for? I, I think the first thing is, is that uh, business owners should be working with a cybersecurity insurance expert. If you're working with a generalist and you're a small business owner, small retailer, a couple of employees, not a big deal. Like I said earlier, there's a lot of cyber insurance companies that will write you a policy of be $1,500, $1,200 a year. If you've got a more sophisticated business, you know, you're doing millions of dollars of revenue, you've got multiple employees, you need to be working with an expert in this field, not just a generalist who may sell a couple of cyber policies a year. Uh, because that expert is going to help you distill and understand what's in the policy and what's not in the policy. 
And on top of that, what services come with the policy that some other policies don't provide? Um, there's a lot of insurance companies and vendors that provide um, post-sale valuated services like um, uh, employee phishing training, uh, external scans of your network, all kinds of different things. And everyone is different, but you need to have that expert be able to say, company A is better than company B. Company C is a little bit more expensive, but they're better than both of these companies. So it really comes down to the expert advice that you're getting when you're making a purchase. That's what I think you should be looking at. It's uh, exactly perfect when I wrote in my book, I said, um people go to so let's say i i took the example of an expert which is a, uh, a general doctor right will know about the eye let's say so you need an eye doctor but he, he can tell you oh, okay you know i'll refer you to an expert and that expert will handle something within his expertise and i had a conversation um this week on Monday with a potential customer. And he said, you know, we're using this uh, company again without names. They are actually residing in New Jersey and they provide MSP services, managed, managed services provider, IT services. And he said, forget it. I'm not going to use them because first I want to put all my eggs in, in one place. The second is that they are not expert in cybersecurity and I want to hire people who are no no cybersecurity they are not IT people. IT people are general doctors and cybersecurity experts are the eye doctor, if you will. So and I'm sure people will ask, okay, all those policies, how much they cost? What should they expect? Like if you can give give us a, like a ballpark, what what they would that will look like for, for each policy. Kind That's really a really difficult one to answer, but like I said, I think you're looking at minimum premiums for very small companies around the twelve to fifteen hundred hour ballpark premium per year. Um, just kind of thinking about some of the deals I'm currently working on, um, you know, larger firm, a little bit larger firms, um, but still small businesses. I think you can expect to pay twenty five hundred to fifty five hundred dollars a year for cyber insurance, and then upwards from there. The big thing is, is what limits are you going to buy? A lot of companies are just buying million dollar limit policies and that may be insufficient to what they really need. Um, one of the things that we haven't talked about is cyber crime. And most cyber policies limit cyber crime, which is also known as social engineering or fraudulent funds transfer to $250,000. There's some firms, you know, let's say, let's say any kind of a company, or let's look at a law firm that does a lot of real estate. They're doing a lot of wire transfers. They may have exposure well beyond that $250,000 number. So then you have to customize that policy or add a separate crime policy to their portfolio of coverages to make sure that they've got protection. Um, you know, but the premiums are really hard to just kind of ballpark and say, this is what it is. Uh, and again, the, the other thing is, is that a million dollar limit may be sufficient. It may be totally fine for a small company, but you know, a hundred million dollar sales company probably should be buying five to $10 million a year. The other thing that we're seeing, and I actually had a call on yesterday, were customers who are mandating 
higher limits of cyber insurance. Two years ago, most vendor relationships didn't have a requirement for cyber insurance. You had to give them a certificate of insurance that you had general liability, workers' compensation, auto liability, and that would be sufficient. Today, a lot of uh, customers, especially if there's handling of any sort of third-party data, they're mandating cyber insurance. A year ago, probably a million dollar limit was sufficient. Now we're seeing a lot of vendor requirements ask for $5 million of cyber insurance, and it may be appropriate. Um, there's different ways to establish what limits of insurance you should have. It could be from benchmarking, peer group review, um, kind of just off the top of my head ideas around what others in that particular industry are buying. Um, but the, the component of that $5 million cyber demand is that it's getting harder and harder to get. A lot of cyber insurance companies are limiting their exposure to two or $3 million, depending on the risk. Uh, some insurance companies will put up a $5 million limit. But what we're seeing is, is that a lot of these higher limit requests have to be accommodated through a, a primary um, cyber policy and an excess cyber policy. So maybe the primary policy provides uh, $3 million of protection and the excess provides $2 million. And combined, you've got your $5 million. But you, you actually answer the, the Right. You actually answer the question. Uh, if you can get multiple policies, let's say cybersecurity insurance from, from different companies, so then you can, so let's say, as you said, you'd need 5 million and they're limiting, so you get three and two, two and three, one, one and four, whatever, but okay, right. so you have a primary holder and then you have another one that will take all the reminder of the uh, of that insurance policy. Okay, that, that, that's a great idea. Okay, all right. What's important though to understand is when you do multiple policies to achieve a full limit of five or $10 million, that the successive policies over the primary are coordinated. You're not buying a million dollar policy over here and a million dollar policy over here. They can't be independently purchased because then you have two primary policies and both of those policies likely will have something called another insurance condition. And they'll both fight each other to say, no, you're primary. No, you're primary. And at the time of a claim, the last thing you want to have are two insurance companies fighting it out over who's supposed to pay the claim. So that's why you have to arrange this in a primary and excess fashion. And all of the underwriters, <clears throat> excuse me, who are involved are cognizant and aware of what layer they are in a tower of coverage. You could have so five policies making so up 20 million dollars so when you buy insurance policy cybersecurity insurance policy you need to buy them the primary and the secondaries all at the same time to make sure that the one is the primary and knows that he's going to primary all the secondaries will know that there's a secondary or third party they will know that uh, this is the old because when you mentioned earlier and i'm assuming this is the case they're going to say Oh, you are the primary because if they are the primary, they're going to need to pay first right. for a claim. That's why it's important because you didn't say that. And I think this is the case. Who's going to pay first for, for the claim? Right. Right. And the, that's the, why it makes the, sense to work with one broker who knows what they're doing. Right. Because they, they can, can coordinate those efforts to make sure that they are coming in the right way. Right. Okay. Perfect. And so we need uh, some, some story time here. 
Uh, I know we, we talked about, <laughs> why are you laughing? I'm just thinking story time. I'm like, yeah, a lot of insurance stories are going to put you to sleep. So <laughs> like a bedtime. No, it's, well, um, we're going to inject some, some questions and answers. So it's not going to be. I mean, I don't want to put anybody to sleep now. It's not it's not a bedtime anyway. I mean, my kids, I can put them to bedtime without stories. Uh, slap in the face. Um, so what are they? Give me some stories, you know, real stuff. Oh, we got breached. So give us some, some colors here. So, so I had a call, um, you know, on my voicemail that came in from a client at three o'clock in the morning. They were a West Coast company, so time difference was a little bit of a factor. Uh, but they they were seeing some odd activity um, in their credit card processing system, and they suspected that they had been breached and that their uh, facilitation of credit card payments was being manipulated by hackers. Uh, obviously, their hair is on fire at three o'clock in the morning. And fortunately, after they called me and got my voicemail, obviously, I'm not working at 3 a.m. East Coast time, uh, they remembered that they had an insurance policy with a phone number on it. They opened the policy. There's the claims hotline. They called uh, the next morning when I got the voicemail. I called the client. They were obviously still awake and working. And they're like, and, and I'm like, and, uh, this is not made up. They said, thank God you sold us this policy uh, because they were worried sick that they were going to lose hundreds of thousands of dollars in the course of this event. And being able to speak to somebody immediately where they could help remediate the loss gave them a lot of comfort. And that's what I tell people. When you buy cyber insurance, you're buying two things. And I often characterize them as two buckets. The first bucket is a bucket of resources, expertise at the other end of the phone that's going to tell you what you need to do right now to stop the threat and to start to recover. The second bucket is a bucket of money. And that money is there to help you pay for all those experts, all those resources. If you're a major company, you're probably going to need something as obscure as a public relations company to help you manage the public relations crisis that can take place around an event like this. If you're a small company, it's gonna be about paying accountants, forensic experts, digital cybersecurity experts like you, Michael, outside experts, lawyers um, to satisfy and, and um, comply with local and federal laws and requirements. These are all things that the average business owner never really thinks about because they don't have to. But when the shit hits the fan, they don't know what to do. So they're getting that bucket of expertise and then the second bucket of money to help pay for those experts and pay for business interruption, stolen money, damaged hardware, damaged software, and everything else that can be covered under a cyber policy. You're still on mute. Yeah. Uh, any other stories? Give us uh, some more juices, something more like, you know, uh, tension and drama and something. You don't have drama. I mean, this is, ah, uh, yeah, they call me. I was sleeping. Uh, okay. <laughs> Who cares? Um, 
And if what, you don't have, if you don't remember anything now, it's okay because we're gonna do maybe another session if you like. Okay. So rather than just a clean story of somebody's hair on fire, um, okay. we can let's take another one. So um, working on an international global company, fairly sophisticated, um, their European coverage does not cover the U.S., which is very common. Uh, they don't cover claims that arise or are litigated in the US because the cost of litigation in the United States is so much higher than everywhere else in the world. So as the as we're putting together their insurance program, which included like all coverage parts and cyber was one of them, we submitted the cyber policy, submitted the cyber quote to an insurance company that did an external scan and came back and identified some really scary exposures sent it to the client and I said, I don't know if you're aware of these things, but these have to be looked into. He escalated it to their internal IT department who escalated it to their external security department and identified that the, 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 um, the weaknesses that we identified were in fact true, that they didn't know existed. So it may not be a sexy, you know, thrilling kind of a story, but it was just an interesting component of the beginning of a conversation of a relationship with a new client and how we added value by not even selling them anything. It was really right. about this scan turned up what could be very potentially hazardous exposures to their IT infrastructure. And they were grateful right. that we identified it because they fixed it. Yeah, I mean, it, it, well, this is a big company, and I'm I'm assuming they, that they have enough budget, maybe, and they need to assign more budget or higher budget now for IT and specifically to cyber, especially small businesses, but also big business and government. Um, but in in this case where you gave them the value and said, okay, here's what you need to do. This is actually helps them. Be, well, there's another th thing, how they didn't know about it. Like they don't have probably they, and so they have external security people. How come they didn't scan outside for vulnerabilities? Like it, this is like, it's basic. It's basic. It's not, you know, you don't need to do more. And I mean, this is also goes with the with the recent vulnerability with, with Java, with Apache, log 4J. People don't know the inventory that they have. They don't know the systems that they're using. They don't know anything. And, oh, do we have that? Or so one customer has a Salesforce. And 10 days after I knew about this and about this vulnerability, and I notified the customer, I mean, his, his team. And they got, you know, got busy with other things, but they forgot to answer me. But apparently, Salesforce are using Row4j and are also vulnerable. vulnerable. This is about the thing. What do you do with companies that you are dependent on them? Your business is dependent on them. And now you are just, because if my system, I was owning the system, here's my rack. I see the system. I can see the systems. I can patch them at any time. And then I can have a third party to verify that all those vulnerabilities are closed. With a SaaS solution like Salesforce, I don't have any control about it. I can't do anything about it. it. This is really, and the owner said, well, I figured it out that we won't be able to do anything because it's been controlled by them. So it's, it's. Uh, I think it's, it's very, um, 
bothered me. I don't know if it bothers other people if they give the time to think about it, but really, this is really bothers me a lot. Mm -hmm. Okay. And actually, it bothered me when everybody was talking, oh, you know, the cloud, the cloud, everything going to come again. And this is like a story from like 15 years ago when the cloud started to be, you know, growing. So I got an email from my friend in Israel said, oh, you know, soon we won't need any IT people like you because the cloud is coming. They're going to eat you up. I said, oh, wow, let me see what this cloud means. And, and I started asking myself questions. Where is the data? Will be stored. Simple question. You say cloud. Where's the cloud? Can be here, can be in Japan, can be in China even. And I don't know where's the data. Yeah, the data is on the cloud. And people don't understand because they don't understand where's the data. They can't even understand what all these terms meaning and where what is the data at all. It's like, what is that? They, they can't even explain this to themselves. So, I mean, this is really bothering mm -hmm. okay so now i think uh, we are coming to a closing so again this is thank you for watching the Cybersecurity insider episode 24 with gordon Coyle, our expert insurance expert cybersecurity insurance expert i should say and thank you for watching thank you for giving us some some good uh thoughts when we go and shop for insurance hope they come to you and of course you can like and subscribe to our channel you know there's icons i don't know always it's the, the right of the left i don't know where exactly so make sure to like and subscribe our channel and we'll come with a more uh episode actually we are now preparing the oh this is for my car because i took the car um a lot of to talk with you guys about vulnerabilities, exploits, ransomware, all this. Uh, oh, by the way, Microsoft has a huge, huge vulnerability with Active. We're going to talk. I'm, I'm not going to say anything. Um, just to, you to know that a lot has been going on in the cybersecurity industry in terms of uh, vulnerabilities, exposures. Uh, oh, by the way, the defense ministry of which country? Uh, Belgian. Defense Ministry Networks Breach Through Log4j Vulnerability. Impressive. Okay, so this is just to give you a little bit of taste for our next episode. You look a little bit amused. I don't know why. Is it because of me <laughs> or because whatever I'm saying or because of the topic? I don't know. Are you seeing some, some another video over there that you're so amused? Well, what's just watching you. Oh, okay. Okay, hopefully, guys, you enjoyed uh, from uh, this um, episode thank you for watching see you next time hopefully maybe this week or next thank you again and we are closing thank you gordon thank see you. you next time take care Great. bye now bye